Welcome to Fertility Fridays. I'm your host, Leah Vaughn. Join me for today's episode as we explore all things on the road to becoming mama. Hello, and welcome to my beautiful mamas, soon to be mamas, future mamas, aspiring mamas, and all mamas in between. How are y'all doing today? Well, I hope. And thank you so much for joining me on today's Fertility Friday segment of the Unspoken Cycle podcast. I am Leah Vaughn, your host. And today we are going to talk about all things thyroid and endocrine system. Quick fun fact about me. I love Christmas. It is my all-time favorite holiday. I am probably one of those people that if you're not that big of a fan of Christmas or you prefer to wait until Christmas to put your decorations up and take them immediately down right after, you're going to cringe at me and I'm okay with that. I accept that. I am okay with being judged for that and certainly am unapologetic also. But anyways, so I love Christmas. I love Christmas movies, Christmas music. But one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is The Grinch That Stole Christmas or The the Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And I'm talking about the movie with Jim Carrey. I love the original as well, but I love Jim Carrey as an actor. And so uh, when I decided to name this podcast episode, I just started to think about how I felt when I was learning about my thyroid and all the things that were going on with my thyroid. The word endocrine was just thrown out in so much verbiage that was being explained to me clinically. And I was just always kind of felt like, who, what? And it always reminded me of this scene in The Grinch who stole Christmas, where he's, I don't even remember what he's saying. I should probably have the movie memorized at this point, but I don't remember what he's saying exactly, but he says, who be whaty? And I'm like, okay, yeah, thyroid, who be whaty? So I decided to name this uh, episode endocrine, who be whaty? Because it really does feel like what the hell is that? Um, when we hear about it all the time. That is why I named this episode what I named it. If you read it and were like, what's this girl's problem? That's the explanation for you. And that's all I got. So, but thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Today's episode of Fertility Fridays is not going to be as heavy or emotionally deep as some of the other episodes. Hopefully it will be informational and you can take away with it what you need. But I feel like because of my personal experience with both thyroid function, thyroid cancer, and fertility struggles because of it, I definitely needed to share this with you. So anybody who's listening, even if you're not trying to conceive, even if you're just struggling with thyroid issues and notice that it is creating complications in your cycle and with your hormone fluctuations, I certainly encourage you to listen, take all of the helpful information you can um, away from what I'm going to share with you today. And I promise not to be too dull and log-winded. So let's get started. So first, the most obvious question, why is the thyroid so important for fertility? Well, here's why. Our endocrine system in our bodies 
is made up of several different glands and organs that are kind of the master system of how our body runs and functions. They control a lot of really important things within our bodies. The thyroid is a part of the endocrine system, as is our reproductive system. If you have been going to a fertility specialist, they're clinically called reproductive endocrinologists, right? I remember when I was seeing an OBGYN many years ago before we officially started to try to conceive my wife and I, and they ran some panels on me and, you know, things looked a certain way and I was getting ready to um, start searching for fertility specialists. And they said, go ahead and schedule an appointment to consult with a reproductive endocrinologist. And I was like, a, a reproductive what? A reproductive endocrinologist. Because our reproductive system is a part of the endocrine system, we are seeing reproductive endocrine specialists. I see a endocrinologist to monitor me for my thyroid function. Even though I don't have a thyroid, I'll get, I'll get to that point in a minute. Endocrinologists specialize in various parts of our endocrine system. So I have both a thyroid endocrinologist and a reproductive endocrinologist who have treated me and helped me through those various health segments of my body. And that is why thyroid function is extremely important in regards to reproductive function for women because our fertility is directly impacted by the way that our thyroid works or doesn't work. So again, the glands and organs that make hormones and release them directly into our blood system so they can travel to the tissues and the organs all over our body are controlled by our endocrine system. The endocrine system is that master control panel, that hub that all of that correlates to. And the endocrine system does not just consist of the thyroid and reproductive system. We're talking the pituitary gland, the pancreas, our adrenal glands. Um, it controls the placenta during pregnancy. It also controls male fertility, the thymus gland, the pineal gland, the hypothalamus, all of these things are part of the endocrine system. I'm not going to get into any of the others because today we're specifically talking thyroid and female reproduction. But that is the endocrine system. It's very large, it's vast, and it's extremely important when it comes to trying to conceive. And as a side note, the hormones released by the endocrine system do control so many of those important functions in our bodies, which include our growth and development from a young age, our metabolism, and obviously reproduction again. The reason why it's so important to talk about thyroid function, because your thyroid at any given time may function differently. You may have a low-functioning thyroid, which is what many individuals, especially women, struggle with, and that can result in a plethora of symptoms in our bodies, metabolism being one of the biggest. So I'll also share my experience with a low metabolism and how 
I struggled with that. But first, I do want to share with you my personal story with the thyroid. Um, just so you can understand how I relate to thyroid function and what it does directly to your body. Up until 2019, I didn't have any thyroid issues that I knew of. Again, the reason for this episode is because I feel like we're not encouraged enough by our medical teams to check our thyroids. And so I don't know if I actually had thyroid issues before 2019, but I will say physically there weren't any indications that anything was off or wrong with any of the functions in my body that I now struggle with. Flashback to 2019. In February of 2019, I suddenly lost my mom. She passed away. It was a very tragic thing, unexpected. So that was really hard on me. I was going through a very difficult process of grieving her loss. I started to feel just very depressed, very sad, which were normal feelings in the grieving process. But on top of that, physically, I was feeling very off. I wasn't sleeping well, but I was sleepy all the time. So I was very lethargic and I'm not talking just, I haven't gotten much sleep, so I'm really tired. I'm talking like exhaustion, like physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, just really lethargic in a lot of ways. But my sleep quality was not that great. I was not eating very much. My appetite was kind of all over the place. And I was having like hot flashes and cold flashes. I specifically remember several rides home from work on the subway. And I wanted to just like crawl out of my skin because I would get a hot flash and suddenly be like covered in cold sweat and feel so sleepy and so exhausted and then suddenly be freezing cold and have chills and shivers and was just like, what the hell is going on with my body? So that lasted for mm, several weeks after my mom passed away. And it got to the point where I really started to question if I was just grieving and having like a, a crazy reaction to my emotional grief, or if something was wrong. So I decided to go to the doctor at the end of March in 2019. I went to the doctor and told him my symptoms. And the doctor, of course, ran, you know, a full blood panel. But during his physical exam, you know, he was checking my stomach and listening to my heart and checking my neck. And he said to me, there's quite a large a growth or something on your thyroid. And it was on the left side of my thyroid. And I didn't really think anything of it because honestly, I didn't really know much about my thyroid. I knew that my sister, one of my older sisters had struggled with hypothyroidism for a large majority of her life. And that was pretty much all that I've ever known about a thyroid as far as conversation, you know, conversation about it. And I was just like, okay, what does that mean? And he was like, well, I'm not quite sure, you know, what it is. It could just be a growth or, you know, indicate something else. But I would like to refer you to a specialist to have it checked out. So, again, I was so consumed by having just recently lost my mom and just being overwhelmed with that whole process that 
I wasn't really thinking anything worst case scenario. So didn't think much of it. He referred me to an endocrinologist. So I visited the endocrinologist. They ran a thyroid panel on me and uh, did the same kind of physical exam on my neck. And she said, there is a large lump on your thyroid and it's fairly big, uh, much larger than typical, what I would typically see. I would like to have it checked out. And in the meantime, I ran some labs on you. So, okay. Still not totally concerned about what was going on, just thought, okay, whatever it is, they'll probably prescribe me some medication and it'll dissolve or I don't really know. Then she called me back into the office to follow up after my blood work came back and said, you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Again, who be what Like, what is that? Never heard of Hashimoto's in my life. Had no idea what it was. So Hashimoto's disease is an autoimmune disorder, and it's where the immune system creates antibodies in our body that attack thyroid cells as if they're bacteria or virus or anything that the immune system would attack. So the immune system wrongly targets the thyroid uh, cells and fights them which then obviously damages the thyroid cells and leads to the death of those thyroid cells. And that is what she diagnosed me with. In order to be diagnosed with Hashimoto's, there is a blood test that they run. They test for the antibodies that are attacking the thyroid cells. And if the antibodies are present, then that's what's going on. So I did test positive for those thyroid antibodies. It made sense with how I was feeling. So she said, you have Hashimoto's. Here are some things you can do. Hashimoto's can be reversed. You just have to take care of your body. Don't worry about it. She was very nonchalant in several different ways. And I ended up firing her as my doctor. On that particular day, my wife and I went home did a lot of Googling about Hashimoto's and what to do with the thyroid. In that particular case, we literally took everything that we had in our cupboards and refrigerator out, threw it away, went to Trader Joe's and restocked our whole entire kitchen with non-gluten, with gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free products. (laughs) Literally, like we, that was the only true remedy that I saw in our research that would boost the reversal of Hashimoto's. So we went full force into changing our eating habits and diets. And that was short lived. And I'll tell you why. I ended up going in for a sonogram. She still referred me in the meantime to get a sonogram of the lump on my thyroid. I go in to get a sonogram. And the lump on my thyroid is extremely large. Okay. Because of the size of it, the sonogram specialist was concerned when they're doing a sonogram, they can't diagnose you with anything. You know, all they can do is report their findings back to the physician. But I saw the concern. She asked me a few questions about how I had been feeling and then said I needed to follow up with my doctor right away. So that was when I started to become alert to the fact that there might be something really wrong. So I made a follow-up appointment with my endocrinologist and I went back in 
and she reviewed the sonogram report and she said, okay, yeah, the, this mass that's on your thyroid is extremely large and we need to rule it out for anything further. Now, the word cancer had not yet been introduced into her clinical vocabulary at this point. I still was not thinking cancer, but that obviously with a mass that's uh, very large on your thyroid, it was literally taking up the entire left side of my thyroid. So if you Google a picture of your thyroid, it's this butterfly-shaped organ, I guess you call it, on, uh, at the bottom of your neck. And the whole entire left side of it was covered with this giant mass. So she said, I would like to have you go in for a fine needle aspiration biopsy. We need to biopsy the tissue and determine what exactly this is. Fine needle aspiration biopsy is extremely intimidating to hear. At that moment when she said I needed to go and have that done, it clicked that okay, the only other time I've ever heard the word biopsy with anything is in, in regards to cancer. Do I have cancer? That's scary. I don't know what thyroid cancer looks like. I don't know the mortality rate of thyroid cancer. I am totally unfamiliar with it. And this is unknown territory that I am not comfortable with right now at all. So I got really scared and kind of very paranoid and started to do a ton of research and ask the internet a lot of questions. I wasn't really a fan of my doctor because she kind of blew off my symptoms and didn't really give me a ton of solutions as far as how to feel better other than changing my diet. When she diagnosed me with Hashimoto's, I wasn't a fan of that. I'm definitely somebody who health-wise I'm proactive. I need answers. And I just kind of didn't really like her bedside manner. She was too chill for me, I guess. Those were life-changing things, you know, regarding my health that she was telling me. And I just feel like she could have been a little more compassionate and a little more helpful in, in offering solutions. When I went to have the biopsy done, I laid there for maybe five minutes. The biopsy itself only took a few minutes. But then I ended up laying on the table for about 10 minutes after that while she looked at the specimen from her biopsy. She kept looking at me and looking back at the, the computer screen next to the bed I was laying on. And that to me made me nervous. I was like, oh my God, she's going to tell me I'm going to die. I really just was, I didn't know what to expect. I was at that point just fearful of any bad news. Um, it was the fear of the unknown, honestly. She told me I need to send this for further testing and I'll send the results as soon as they come back to your physician. And when she said that to me, my heart kind of sank. I don't know, something deep down in my soul just didn't feel well with that and felt like it wasn't going to be good news. I remember I walked out of the doctor's office and down to the bus stop because I was on my way back to work and I was sitting on Third Avenue in Manhattan waiting for the bus to come and I called my wife. She was at work at that time and I said, you know, I just had the biopsy done and they had, they, the woman said she had to send it for further testing. And I just started crying and I was like, baby, what if I have cancer? I am so scared of this. And she said, you know, you don't have cancer. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through it. 
And I was so scared. Just something in the pit of my stomach told me it wasn't going to be okay. So fast forward to about two weeks later, the biopsy results came back from my procedure. And sure enough, I had thyroid cancer. That giant mass on the left side of my thyroid was a tumor. It was clinically diagnosed as papillary carcinoma. Those are scary words. Cancer in any form is scary. And one thing I will say to anybody listening today who has experience with a cancer diagnosis, whether it be yourself or a loved one or someone you know, cancer in any form is scary. And one thing I was told in a support group, actually, which was kind of crazy, is that we who have been diagnosed with thyroid cancer should consider ourselves the quote unquote lucky ones because there is virtually no mortality rate with thyroid cancer and it's treatable and we get to live. And let me tell you, ladies, that didn't help. Those words were not comforting. In my moment of hearing the diagnosis of understanding that everything I was feeling and going through was because of a cancerous mass in my body that I didn't know was there. There was literally nothing anybody could say or do to make me feel any better, any better about that. And I certainly didn't want my experience to be invalidated just because I wasn't going to die. Like that was insanity to me that someone would even say that. Obviously, anybody who endures suffering at the hands of cancer wants their life. We want life for our loved ones who have gone through that. Cancer is ugly. It does take lives. And I hate that. But that does not mean that just because there was very little chance that I would lose my life at the hands of thyroid cancer, I wasn't going to feel deathly afraid of that. If you've dealt with that or experienced that, please know it's not fair to invalidate anybody's experience when it comes to cancer and, and how that feels for that person. I did not feel well. I was actually much more ill than I realized. That was a, a very scary time in my life. I met with a surgeon who recommended that I immediately have my entire thyroid removed. Basically, there was no need to keep half of my thyroid and only remove part of it because of the size of the tumor on my thyroid. I was going to have to take a significant amount of medication to regulate the, the thyroid hormone in my body after it was removed. The, the remaining portion of thyroid that would have been left was going to contribute very little to my body as far as health-wise. And so the determination was made between me and my medical team which by the way, as soon as I met my surgeon, he was like, get a new endocrinologist. And I did. I, I ended up being cared for by someone who was amazing um, and who helped guide me through the process after my surgeon cared for me. So I went ahead and went through with the removal of my thyroid and discovered once my thyroid was removed that the tumor was so large, it was actually smothering several of my parathyroid glands. That 
also contributed to how terribly I felt. Luckily, he was able to repair them and leave them intact. So he only had to remove my thyroid. He also did not find any remnants of cancer in any of the lymph nodes in my neck or around that area. So that was great news. He did uh, dissect several parts of it just to be sure. So fast forward to today, I have no thyroid and I have been on Synthroid, which is a synthetic thyroid hormone um, for the last three years. Every morning, I have an alarm clock on my phone. I get up, I take my medication with a glass of water, and I lay back down because I'm, I can't take it within a certain amount of time uh, of eating or drinking anything other than water. And I will have to take synthetic thyroid hormone for the rest of my life. Basically, what happens if I don't take my Synthroid is my body's particular endocrine function when it comes to the thyroid will begin to shut down, which will trickle into other areas of my body, like my pituitary gland, my adrenal glands, and those will begin to shut down and my body will slowly die. So that is my reality. That is my experience with thyroid Hashimoto's and thyroid cancer. Essentially, my diagnosis now after having the cancer removed from my body is chronic hypothyroidism, which means I chronically have a low functioning thyroid system in my body. I go for sonogram scans and lab work several times a year, uh, every three to six months, depending on how my labs turn out. Uh, my TSH levels are tested, my T3, my free T4, and my, my T4 levels. A thorough panel is tested uh, several times a year. And for the most part, I feel okay. However, last year around November, I started to feel really sluggish very tired and was gaining weight quite rapidly, even though I wasn't really making any specific dietary changes. So something just didn't feel right. And I knew I had a endocrinologist follow up in January. So I kind of trekked through November and December, just not feeling well and looking forward to seeing my endocrinologist. And sure enough, when I went in to see him, he ran the labs and my TSH level was very, very high. And he said, oh, this is why you're not feeling well. This is why your metabolism plummeted. You, you know, we've got to kickstart your body. And so he changed the dosage of my Synthroid. And after just a couple of weeks, I felt great again. I went back a few weeks later to rerun my labs and everything was um, within the normal range again and feeling good, you know, and looking good. And today I feel pretty well. All of this to say the experience I had with my thyroid and with no longer having a thyroid played a direct part on my reproductive system. Had I known then that it was going to negatively impact my ability to conceive at this age and stage in my life, when it's already hard enough, I probably would have done a few things differently with my health before I even found out I had thyroid cancer. 
So this education for you today, ladies, is extremely important just in prevention and follow-up with your health care. Please, please, please pay attention to what your thyroid is doing in your body. Even if you feel fine, you just never really know what's going on. And for some reason, after my mom passed away, that triggered a sequence of events in my body that signaled that something was wrong. It's funny because when I look back at pictures around that time, I can instantly see the lump in my throat. Like it sticks out like a sore thumb now because I know that it's there. But during that time, before I even found out that I had a huge lump in my throat, I didn't just go around checking my throat. I had no idea it was there. I didn't see it in the mirror when I got ready and, you know, put my makeup on or washed my hair, anything like that, because number one, I wasn't looking for it. And number two, there was nothing to signal that it was such a huge thing. I don't know. I just didn't see it. But now I look back and I'm like, how did I not see that? So please, please, please just pay attention to what your thyroid is doing and make sure that when you go in for your checkups and you're going in for your health checkups with either your primary care or your gynecologist, have them check your thyroid levels. You never know if something's going on that you may not be aware of. And if you're trying to conceive, you definitely want to know what's going on with your thyroid. So the reason why thyroid function is so important on the reproductive system is because our thyroid hormones need to be at certain levels in order for our ovulatory cycles to be regular. A low functioning thyroid can create irregular ovula ovulation or stop ovulation altogether. So we definitely want to be mindful of how the thyroid is working. For me, once my wife and I started trying to conceive in 2020, it was a year later I had that I didn't have a thyroid since I had been diagnosed with the thyroid cancer. The reproductive endocrinologist that I was seeing, um, Dr. Secon, that's the first reproductive en endocrinologist who I was treated by in New York City. She told me that there was going to be a need to keep an eye on my thyroid, on my TSH levels, because in order to conceive, there was a specific level of hormone that our bodies needed to function at to make it optimal for ovulation and for regular ovulation. So that's when I realized that there really was a link between how my body was producing and functioning with thyroid hormone and how I would or wouldn't ovulate. So she was great in checking all of my levels and making sure that she um, requested my records and labs for my endocrinologist just to keep uh, up with how the thyroid hormone was looking in my body. According to Dr. C. Khan, a TSH level of 2.5 or somewhere between 2 and 2.5 was optimal, not only to get pregnant, but to maintain a healthy pregnancy, especially during the first trimester. And then because I didn't have a thyroid, if I were to become pregnant after the first trimester, my thyroid uh, medication would be changed so that the body would have a sufficient amount of thyroid hormone to sustain a pregnancy all throughout the nine months. So you see a healthy thyroid is optimal 
in not only getting pregnant, but sustaining a pregnancy. It's so important for us ladies to understand that the, that the thyroid controls a hugely important piece of our reproductive system. There are things that can alert you to the possibility of a low functioning thyroid. So some of these symptoms are fatigue and sluggishness, sensitivity to cold, sleepiness, dry skin, constipation, muscle weakness, aches and tenderness and stiffness in our muscles, joint pain and stiffness, irregular uh, bleeding or excessive bleeding with our menstrual cycles, depression, sometimes memory or concentration. I call it brain fog. I do suffer from brain fog from time to time. I can't really explain it other than just feeling like my head is in the clouds and I can't really focus very clearly. It's kind of an odd out of body feeling, I guess you could say, swelling of the thyroid. So an enlarged thyroid is, is an obvious symptom. Uh, sometimes puffiness or redness in the face. Our nails can become thin and brittle. Hair loss, that's something that my sister has experienced with her lifelong uh, struggle with hypothyroidism, um, hair loss. And then things like enlargement of the tongue. There's all sorts of physical symptoms that come with a low functioning thyroid. Don't write it off to, oh, I've just been working a lot, so I'm tired. Or, oh, I have babies at home I'm caring for, so obviously I'm fatigued. Or, you know, I've been doing too much and not resting enough. Stop excusing your symptoms and start paying attention to them. If you feel one or any of those symptoms I just mentioned, or just unwell altogether, you know your body, you know how you feel. If you're not feeling yourself and you truly believe something is wrong, go get your thyroid checked. I like to say, check your neck. Seriously, check your neck, ladies. Make sure that everything is going as it should with your thyroid and with your thyroid hormone levels. They're so important. And when it comes to creating a baby and growing a baby, you're going to need your thyroid to be in check. Some of the ways to maintain a healthy thyroid and also ca that can improve your thyroid health can be definitely diet. Um, like I said, my previous endocrinologist immediately recommended changing my diet when she diagnosed me with Hashimoto's. She didn't mention the Mediterranean diet specifically, but she basically said cut out gluten, cut out refined sugar, cut out dairy. If you're somebody who enjoys eating those things and they're a regular part of your diet, it can be really hard to just cut them out and try to find other alternatives. That's a struggle. I totally get it. I love milk. I love butter. I love sugar. I love wheat. You know, I love all those things, but I have been able to find healthy alternatives for a lot of those things too. So one of the diets that's really good, not only for maintaining thyroid health, but also for fertility health that has been recommended to me by doctors like Dr. Seacon and also Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer, is the Mediterranean diet. So fruits, veggies, whole grains, lots of fish and seafood, lots of nuts and seeds, healthy oils like avocado oil, olive oil, 
if you're unable to completely cut out things like sugar, starch, gluten, dairy, at least limit those things. I'll tell you about some alternatives that I that that I personally have introduced to my diet and my wife and I together um, as a whole in our home. One alternative to butter is ghee. It's spelled G-H-E-E. It's not completely dairy-free, but it's a great organic alternative to butter and margarine. We also use monk fruit instead of refined white sugar. Monk fruit is amazing as far as a sugar substitute. It tastes just like sugar. It has virtually no calories in it, and it does not have the unhealthy effects of refined white sugar. As far as gluten-free, that's probably the most difficult part of our diet that has been hard to change. Um, I love wheat. I'm not even going to lie. We like rice. We like starches like potatoes. It's a hard thing to substitute those things. But I will say this, whenever we do buy breads or things like tortillas and pita, we typically go for whole wheat or whole grain. Whole grain is the better alternative to whole wheat just because whole grain doesn't just have wheat in it. It has all sorts of other grains like oats and other things in it. So there's less of that component of wheat. One of the things I love to eat as far as sandwiches are the Arnold Sandwich Thins. They do come in a whole grain option. They're great with some tuna, um, some lettuce, and whatever you like to eat as far as sandwich goes. We even make breakfast sandwiches with them. We eat turkey bacon instead of pork bacon. We even get uh, the vegan cheeses. They taste delicious. They melt just fine. And they're really good for a cheese substitute as far as that dairy. I will say I'm an egg person. I love to eat eggs. I typically, I typically am okay with eating egg whites instead of the yolk, but sometimes that's not always a possibility, like at restaurants or if I'm just in a hurry and don't feel like separating my yolks from my whites, I'll eat it whole. But we do try to change some of those things. I'm an oat milk drinker. My wife loves almond milk. You know, so uh, we've even found a great um, dairy-free cream, heavy cream by Country Crock, which we use as far as a cream component in recipes. I use it to make cold foam for my iced coffee. You know, there are a lot of things that you can find in supplements. I will say that Pinterest is an amazing source of alternatives when it comes to changing your diet, as is just going to the grocery store and looking to see what they have. So Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, we have a Publix over here that we go to often that has a health food section, like an organic section. Um, with a lot of other things. Oh, I will say also, I love to bake. So alternatives to regular white flour, almond flour, coconut flour, you know, those things can be used as alternatives in recipes as well. So you just kind of have to get out there and find what you will enjoy as an alternative in your diet. But those are some things um, as far as food wise that you can uh, make changes to that will help with your thyroid health. 
also one thing that I learned was certain vegetables like cabbage and kale are really high in vitamin C if you eat them raw. And that in particular can affect your thyroid hormones and kind of throw the levels off. So it was recommended to me. And I've also read in several health articles online that if you like uh, veggies like cabbage and kale, cook them. Don't eat them raw because raw, they have a much higher concentration of that vitamin. Whereas when you cook them, it kind of dilutes it a little and it doesn't have such a huge impact on your thyroid hormone. And then also, of course, you want to take your vitamins and supplements. You want to uh, take your probiotics. Make sure you're getting plenty of vitamin D. If not, a vitamin D supplement is going to do your body very good. Get enough sleep, regularly exercise. One thing that I made the mistake of last year was I got a Peloton bike and I said, okay, I want to get into a healthy weight range. So I'm going to go hard. I'm going to do like 45 minutes of intense biking every day. And then I'm going to do a strength routine and I'm just going to be in the best shape of my life. Not. I was literally doing just that. I was doing 30 to 45 minutes of hit of, of regular rides and hit high intensity rides on my bike five days a week. I was doing four to five days a week of strength training and I wasn't losing any weight. And I did that for months and it was really, really frustrating. And I was like, what the hell? Why am I not? I should be losing so much weight right now. Of course, I was building muscle because I was doing so much strength training, but I wasn't seeing the results in my clothing or on the scale at all like I thought I would. So my wife and I went to Paris in April and I didn't work out for a couple of weeks. And lo and behold, I started dropping the pounds and I did not understand what was going on. So I did some research and because I have a low functioning thyroid, which greatly impacts my metabolism and my metabolic composure in my body, going hard in the exercise and cardio area is not what my body needs to recreate its health as far as the physical um, aspect of it, the fitness aspect of it. So I learned that light exercise, maybe walking on the treadmill for 20 minutes a couple days a week, or even if I want to get on my bike, not doing such an intense ride so consistently. So 20 minute rides three days a week that are just kind of regular, even low impact rides. And then focusing on lean muscles. So still keeping up with that strength uh, training routine, maybe not as intensely, but making sure that I have a strong core, that I have a strong upper body, and just kind of giving that overall full body strength training is going to be what's best for me. So you have to learn what is best for your body. But of course, sleep and exercise always do us very well physically. We want to make sure that we're healthy. And if we're trying to conceive, we want to have a healthy pregnancy. That does mean getting up and moving and feeling rested as much as possible. There is a clinical abstract online that I encourage everybody listening today to read. It's called Role of Hypothyroidism and Associated Pathways in Pregnancy and Infertility Clinical Insights. It is on the National Library of Medicine, which is at ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. That's really long, so I'll repeat it. 
ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. You can find that abstract and it is extremely clinically thorough on hypothyroidism and the role of the thyroid with pregnancy and infertility. It will tell you at nauseum all of the details that you need to know and how your thyroid specifically impacts pregnancy, fertility, and how it causes infertility. So again, ladies, be proactive, learn about your thyroid, do lots of research, ask your doctors questions and get your thyroid levels checked regularly. Check your neck, feel around your neck from the top, from underneath your chin, all the way down to the bottom by your collarbone. When you go to the doctor and you're not feeling well, they always check around your shoulders, around your neck to see if anything feels swollen or enlarged. You definitely want to do that at home for yourself. Had I known the importance of understanding my thyroid and how it functions in my body, I certainly would have been doing that long before I found out the really hard way. And as a result of not having a thyroid now, because my wife and I are trying to conceive, I am definitely much more in tune with what's going on with my reproductive system. I track my cycles and, you know, I'm older. I just turned 43. Sometimes my cycles aren't regular. Sometimes they're kind of wonky and all over the place, but it's a little bit harder for me to track my ovulation sometimes. And I know that it's not just my age. It's also what's going on with the thyroid hormone in my body. So this is just my personal experience that I wanted to share with you just to highlight how extremely important it is to understand what our thyroid is about and what our endocrine system controls in our bodies. We want to be mamas. We want to create and sustain life. And we have to know our bodies inside and out, ladies. That's the gist of the unspoken cycle we have to talk about it. We have to educate ourselves on it. I hope that you found helpful information in today's episode. And I just thank you so much for joining me and continuing to support me on this journey as I continue to support you. If you have not yet, ladies, please like and subscribe. Share with your friends, share with your mothers, your girlfriends, your sisters, your aunts, your cousins, whoever you have in your life who may benefit from this information and who may want to become a part of the Unspoken Cycle community. Remember, you can sign up at www.theunspokencycle.com. There's a free membership community waiting there for you with open arms. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Unspoken Cycle, as well as on Facebook at The Unspoken Cycle. And excitingly enough, shortly I will be begin recording videos for my YouTube channel of all of my podcast episodes so you can see who I am and we can have a little bit more of a personal interface with each other. All right, ladies, I hope you are well. Mamas, be strong. This isn't an easy journey, but it's one that's well worth it at the end. Until next time, take care. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Fertility Fridays. Please like and subscribe 
And don't forget to join the private community just for women at theunspokencycle.com. Until next week, stay strong.